We're reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Dan, thanks very much. Well, do um, keep that passage open. I loved hearing about the experiment that a a friend once did in Oxford Street in London. It's a busy shopping street. And he handed out a small bit of paper, and right at the bottom of the piece of paper was the line which said, uh, if you hand this paper back to the person who gave it to you, they will exchange it for a £10 note. Well, he stood there for uh, an hour or so, and most people picked up the piece of paper and cast it aside or put it in the bin, thought it's another bit of advertising. But there were a handful of people, just a handful over an hour or so, who went back and exchanged the piece of paper for a £10 note. Well, if you were here last week as we're looking at this uh, little section of 2 Corinthians, Paul has written on money and giving, and maybe you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again, as if last week wasn't enough. We've got a second week uh, on money and giving. And we're thinking, I'm just being handed one of those pieces of paper. Well, I can tell you the good news this morning is that I'm giving you a piece of paper like my friends gave you, because I'm not going to stand here pleading with you for money. In fact, I'm not going to ask for your money at all. In fact, I want to give you something wonderful. I want to bless you rather than the other way around. I'm not 
desperately asking for Sneb's money for me to be paid. I'm wanting instead to be blessing you. And I'm very excited about looking at this passage this morning because it's all about, its heart is about what God wants to do for us. I hope that we will leave this morning with a spring in our step and joy in our hearts, overflowing with thankfulness. And uh, um, that's my prayer for this morning. And that's what this passage has for us. If you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus this morning, I hope you'll see just a little bit of what the heart of Christianity is about. At its heart, it's not about what we do for God, keeping up to his standards. No, it's all about what he gives for us. Well, if we're going to achieve those aims, I think we'd better pray. So let's bow our heads and pray that God would be at work in our hearts to that end. In Mark, a needy father came to Jesus and explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Our Heavenly Father, we pray so much that that would be our prayer and our experience this morning. We do believe in you and we want to uh, undo our unbelief. So please help us believe these wonderful promises and know you as the generous and gracious God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd love it if you'd have a Bible in front of you and uh, have a look down to page 1164 and look at verse 8, which is right at the heart of this passage. I'm going to read it again. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What a wonderful promise. What an extraordinary promise. Abundant blessing, never to be in need at all times. Is it too good to be true? I guess the trouble is that we don't often believe this promise. And neither did the Corinthians to whom Paul was writing, which is why he needed to go on to have a second chapter. Uh, about this area of money. Uh, In chapter 9, verse 1, you sense that he needs to explain why he's going on so long. There is no need for me to write you about this service to the Lord's people. That's what he says. But Paul does continue writing about this special money collection that he's putting together so that the Gentile, non-Jewish Christians all around the Mediterranean can give to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were struggling to make ends meet, who were facing life amidst of a famine. Well, Paul not only writes a letter to the Corinthians uh, with a long section on, on money, but he also says uh, in verse 3 that he's going to send a delegation to them. He's going to send some brothers to make sure that the collection is done properly. Verse 3, but I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you may be ready as I said you would be. On top of that, he shares his fear. He's been boasting about these Corinthians that they're going to give, and he fears that they're not going to follow through with their gift. It seems like Paul isn't quite sure the Corinthians will end up being generous givers. They said they would, but were they all talk and no action? 
the first thing he says to them, our first heading is, uh, in verses 1 to 5, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> Sorry for the slightly uh, 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 sort of casual saying, put your money where your mouth is. Paul wants the best for the Corinthians. He wants their gift to be generous, not stingy. So they need to get organized. Practical organization is important in as we think about our giving because it enables us to be generous and not stingy. You see, it seems as though the Corinthians hadn't followed up on what Paul had said at the end of his first letter to them. In chapter 16, verse 1, he says this, don't, don't turn to it. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Well, it seems as though that hasn't been done. The Corinthians have got out of the habit of putting aside money at the beginning of each week when they, uh, when they give. So Paul writes, he sends the delegation, and he admits that he's worried about his boasting, that it would shame the Corinthians and it would shame Paul. Why is Paul so worried about this collection? He's already made clear that it's the unity between Jews and Gentiles, Christians on both sides, that he wants to uh, make clear. But here, his main concern is for the Corinthians. Have a glance down, if you will, to verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. They need to put their money where their mouth is, to do what they say they will, to get practically organized. Because Paul wants their gift to be generous. And he goes on to explain in the rest of the chapter why generosity is so important, needs to be at the heart of our giving, why a begrudging gift is so bad. So our second heading is give generously and cheerfully. Give generously and cheerfully. And that's verses 6 to 11. Paul gives two wonderful reasons and the heart of what he wants to say in this, this chapter and why we can therefore give generously and cheerfully. And the first reason is that God gives a great harvest. I was tempting to have, have as my first point, you reap what you sow, which is true. That's what it says in verse 6. But it's important to see that God gives the seeds to enable us to sow, and he's the one who gives the harvest that comes from the sowing. See, at the start of the season, as the farmer thinks about the year ahead, he doesn't say to himself, I've got my seed, and I'm going to keep it in the barn. <laughs> it's just going to stay there. I'm going to keep it safe and dry. No, what the farmer does is he thinks about the year ahead. He, he sows the seed because he's wanting a harvest to come. And he sows with the expectation and the joy and the hope of a rich harvest. I don't know about you, but that's not how I see my giving. I think of my giving as, well, I give the money away and it's gone. <laughs> that's it. It's no longer in my bank account. Someone else is going to use it. But God says, just wait. There is a harvest to come. 
what you give, you will receive many times over. The effects of my giving will continue to bless me. I'll reap a harvest myself, even after the money is gone. Now we need to read on to find what that harvest is. At the end of verse 8, we've already seen that having all you need, you will abound in every good work. It'll enable us. It'll transform us to enable do every good work. And in verse 10, he goes on, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God promises to supply our physical needs. Not everything we might want, but everything we need. You will be rich, enriched in every way, he says, physically and spiritually. It'll result in a bumper harvest of righteousness, in good works, in a life that pleases God. Now, this isn't a prosperity gospel. God's not promising to make us happy, wealthy, and healthy. That's a wicked teaching, which says if you've got enough faith, will, God will give you health and wealth. God does promise to meet all our physical needs. In the Old Testament, God gives the promise of physical blessings, of land, of fruit, of rest. In the New Testament, that promise is mainly for the future. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will receive those things. Actually, for the present time, Christians are often promised suffering and difficulty. And yet God provides amidst difficulty and suffering. I wonder how you think of your giving when you give to something. It's easy to think, well, I haven't got much money. So Nebs needs a lot of money, more than a million pounds, to keep everything ticking over, to do God's work here. What will my tiny amount do? It's just a drop in the ocean compared to what uh, Seneb's needs. But God says, it's not about how much you give. It's about how generous you are. You can reap the same harvest as someone gives a hundred times as much as you. The Macedonians we read about last week and, and mentioned at the beginning of this chapter were incredibly poor, and yet they still gave generously. And they, those Macedonians, they're still an encouragement to us today, aren't they? We're reading about them nearly 2,000 years later. What an amazing harvest from their gift. So that means Paul is free not to pile on the pressure, pressure to, to, to say what, how big the needs are. Now he says... Verse 7, so each of you should decide what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God lives, loves a cheerful giver. Now I heard about a church where the elders visited each household once a year to go through their sort of budget and their accounts and to work out whether their giving was appropriate. That couldn't be further from Paul's intention here. He's saying it's a free gift, generously given. Everyone on their own has the freedom to decide what they'll give. He doesn't want people to give grudgingly. If you're giving grudgingly, I, I think you ought to go and, and change your standing order. <laughs> Cancel it. 
Trevor will be worried. The, the, tre- the, the treasurer. But God hates begrudging giving. He doesn't want people's arms to be twisted. He loves the cheerful giver. The one who gives, knowing there's a harvest to come. Paul says, I can give joyfully. Literally, it means hilariously. Because I know I'll receive so much more back from God. A material and a spiritual harvest. Jim Elliott, that young young missionary, traveled from Western the United States to Ecuador to take the good news of Jesus to a tribe there. You may know the story. It was about 70 years ago. After initial positive contact with someone on the tribe who they took for a flight in the plane, he then met some tribesmen and was killed on that beach. His body floated down the river. Just a little while before that moment, he wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot gain Sorry, cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, he understood this principle of the harvest. He went to be with his Lord, but there was a great harvest from his life, from what he gave. From that generous and joyful gift of his service. He's inspired so many others, hasn't he, to take the good news of Jesus around the world. And many of those Ecuadorian tribes have since heard And come to know of God's goodness and his grace. Including that tribe who killed Jim. Well, That's our first encouragement to be generous and to be joyful in our giving. God gives a great harvest. And secondly, very closely related. God will bless me richly. I can give generously because I know that as I give, God blesses me more than I need. Verse 8 again. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul's quote from, uh, in verse 9 from Psalm 112 makes the same point. It's a beautiful picture of a righteous person who is generous and they're richly blessed by God. It's why the Macedonians pleaded with Paul and said, please, can we be a part of this gift? Can we be joined too? Can we give to that collection for the uh, Christians in Jerusalem? Because they wanted to be blessed. They knew as they gave, they would receive more than they did give. I guess the question behind all of this, behind this whole passage today, is what do we think God is really like? Do we think he's a God who basically wants to take things from us? Or is he a God who is good and generous and abundantly gives us all that we need, indeed more than we need? Verse 8 says that I can trust him. See, this is a passage against hoarding. I can think about my money uh, as if I need to hoard and save it up, because then I will be happy. But Paul's saying, if you want to be really happy, you need to give it away. That's the way to true fulfillment and happiness. Because he will give me more than I need. 
So I'm free to be generous, to love giving, because I know that I won't lose out, but I'll gain through being generous. And I must say, that is my experience. It applies to our time and our gifts as well as our finances. Too much of the time, I fail to take the opportunities God gives us to perhaps speak to our friends about Christ, to share something of what we've received ourselves, the joy of knowing Christ, of forgiveness, the peace that he gives. Yet occasionally, maybe when I'm at the pub with a few friends, I do take that opportunity, maybe ask a leading question, which enables me to then, when they ask a question back, explain something of Jesus. I probably don't explain it very well, but I remember a number of instances as I leave the pub I had a spring in my step and a joy like nothing else in my heart as I'd given and she God had blessed me more than I could have known. It's so often the case, isn't it? When we give, we end up receiving so much more. And that's the thing about Christian service, whether it's going to a prayer meeting or serving at an event or a camp. We give, but every time we come away blessed, don't we? We may be exhausted, but we are full of joy. God gives a great harvest, and God will bless me richly. And there are three wonderful results that all flow from generosity like that. We'll only be able to mention them briefly, but uh, let's whip through them. The first is that God will supply his people's needs through you. Isn't it wonderful? to hear about partnerships with overseas partners today. As we give, as we give not just financially, but in prayer and love and contact and those things, it'll build that partnership. Have a glance down to verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, it's also overflowing in many expressions in thanks to God. As we give, it does meet other people's needs. That's the fundamental reason for Paul's collection for the Christians in Jerusalem. First and foremost, they're starving and they need help, as well as the the other great benefits. And the normal way that God provides for his people that are needy is through the gifts of other brothers and sisters. As Amy Carmichael wrote, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Well, God supplies the needs of others through that love. Uh, Second result is that God's church will be strengthened. Verse 13, because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in these, their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. As the church in Jerusalem receives that gift from their Gentile brothers and sisters, they will know that wonderful unity across the divide of Jew and Gentile. Our generosity can be shown in so many ways, can't it? Not just giving financially, maybe writing a card, or giving a meal, or a visit, or a letter. 
going to help another church with their children's weekend, children, for, uh, children's work for their weekend away. Perhaps giving a talk at a Christian union. All of those ways of giving, they, they don't just help out. They strengthen that fellowship and that bond between us. And isn't that our experience? As we step out and help someone, oh, we feel connected to them in a, in a wonderfully new way. There's a partnership in it and a joy of being together. God's church is strengthened. And the final result is praise to God. That praise, uh, as we've been seeing, sort of uh, flows down each of these different verses. Imagine the joy in Jerusalem when this gift did arrive. They're starving, struggling, and suddenly they're able to provide for one another. There's food on the table. They're able to care for that widow who has no income of her own, of those children who are struggling. That's why I think our, our giving to support overseas partners and partners in the UK as well is so important for us here at St. Ebbs. It'd be very easy for us to be quite Corinthian, to be pleased about our own gifts and ourselves, to be self-centered and not to worry about others outside of our own bubble. But wonderfully, as we do give, and it's wonderful to see those connections and that support going out. Wonderfully, we're connected to them and it results in praise as they look to God who supplied their needs through us. It is a Mexican wave of praise happening as a result of this Corinthian generosity. And this praise to God is because everything comes from him. As Pete said earlier in the service, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's actually the foundation and the reason for the whole chapter. It's the heart of the whole chapter along with verse Eight, it's parallel verse. It turns their understanding of giving upside down. No longer inward focused, but receiving and outward focused, giving out. Because as we give, as we, give we are blessed. And we become more and more like this generous God who gives us all that we have. Shall we pray? we said. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for your love and grace, for the way that you pour out your blessings on us through Christ. Thank you for all the spiritual blessings that we enjoy in him, that peace, his presence, assurance of forgiveness and hope of a certain future. We thank you for so many practical and physical blessings that you pour on us day by day for a roof over our heads, for daily bread, for so many blessings beyond. And we pray so much that you would make us captivated by your generosity and your goodness we would be like you. 
in Jesus' name.